any sinner is capable of being a great saint. And any saint is also capable of being a great sinner. Wow. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Locust and Honey. I'm your host, Christopher Quinn, and I'm here with an amazing brother of mine, Brad Bradley mm-hmm. Pieron. Yes. Um, it's an amazing honor to have you on. I've always had the utmost respect for you, hmm. and I'm really excited for what this time is going to bring yeah. to us and whoever's listening. Um, me and Brad were getting... <laughs> We were getting Mediterranean food. That's right. Just before this. It's the best kind. It's the best. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best kind. Um, shout out to Zeke's in Cincinnati, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking about all the different directions we could go with this time. But I'm just like not concerned at all because whenever me and Brad have sat down, I've known, how long have I known you, Brad? I was thinking about that when we were eating, actually. I. I'm trying to think I've been in full-time ministry going into my eighth year. We would have met my first year, second year. Wait, um, I showed up. We met in 2017. We were like actively a part of the same ministry family. That's right. In 2018. So yeah, so 2017. So I mean, we're going into seven years. I mean, I was there the entire time in 2017. That's what I mean. Yeah. So (laughs) What is that? Six years? Seven yeah. years? Yeah. That's great. But almost every time that we've sat down, um, even in passing, we're just not very good at like keeping things short sometimes. Um, <laughs> sometimes. All sometimes. The time. <laughs> all the time. Um, just really, really powerful conversations. Um, mm-hmm. And he just has a lot of wisdom to share. So I'm really excited to have you. Thanks, brother. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. What is, just for people that don't know you, like what sure. is, yeah, what is maintaining What's this is so this is the new question that I have. Mm-hmm. It's not like what do you do yeah. or things like that. It's like what consumes most of your time nowadays? Yeah. So I oversee a missionary program mm-hmm. in central Ohio and those listening probably know of Damascus. <laughs> and I have been overseeing that missionary program now for um, five of the seven years I've been at Damascus. So I was part of the founding of that program. And really what that means is I was one of the first people to say yes. We didn't really know what the movement was supposed to look like at that time. We just had some people that had common desires to have a young generation raised up in the truths of the faith and gave a yes then and have been overseeing uh, missionaries from all around the country and all around the world since. And I oversee really anything from the point of first contact with a young adult who might be interested Mm -hmm. in missionary work to deployment where we send people like you out to, do what they feel called to do. So that's what consumes most of my time is um, bringing in young adults to be formed as missionaries and mm-hmm. sending young adults out to live mission in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you, uh, today we're going to be talking about a few different things, but I really, when you were talking about when you said yes mm-hmm. to serving with Damascus, like I felt like we should go into that for yeah, a second. Sure. Um, you're a very specific <laughs> We were saying this at dinner, breed mm-hmm. of person. Yeah. Um, a pioneer, some would mm-hmm. call you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to be at the beginnings of a new missionary apostolate. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it? What am I trying to say here, Brad? Why did you say yes, maybe? That's the question. But also, like, yeah, I just want to dive into that, mm-hmm. man. Like, that's, that, that time period where it was like, okay... I am transitioning from OSU. I'm no mm-hmm. longer a Buckeye. Well, you're a Buckeye forever. Yeah, but Buckeye for life, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag. And, and I want to step into this new thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think there's so much there that I feel like could just bless yeah, man. whoever wants to hear it. Yeah, I'd love to talk about it. I, I think it's something that I don't talk about enough, you know? It's something that uh, I might uh, take for granted sometimes, but that first call to Damascus was something that, I think the Lord um, has built really the entirety of my life on, which 
is a yes that's not easy and a yes that comes at the cost of other things. And so um, when I graduated from Ohio State, I graduated with a pre-law degree. My thoughts were around the idea of going to law school at Notre Dame or Vanderbilt or, or just a school that I could get my feet under me in the area of law, maybe get into politics. I always had a vision that included me helping others become the fullness of who they were called to be, even before you know, conversion. And it was towards uh, the beginning of my junior year of college that the Lord really broke through in my life. And I would say in a very real way, picked me up off of one path and placed me on another. And it just opened up a world of possibility. And I saw such a need for, I think, uh, for men, for young adults, for people in the church to give a yes that was unreserved. Mm -hmm. A yes that's like, Lord, when I say yes, it means that I'll never say no to you. And it was at the end of my senior year, I was going to be with um, St. Paul's Outreach as a missionary. And there was a few options with how I might serve St. Paul's Outreach. And I was also thinking about focus and net and a lot of amazing missionary apostolates. But I got a phone call um, from Dan Demite. And Dan had mentioned to me that they were thinking about starting this missionary program in Central Ohio. And for just a few minutes, he shared his heart for the young people in our church and how they're a generation that's going to be missed if we don't do something about it. And I was so touched by his heart, but I was still convinced that the yes I'd given to St. Paul's outreach would still be the yes that I would go with until I really gave it to the Lord. I remember when we hung up, I told Dan that I would pray about it. The invitation that he was giving me to be a part of the start of this missionary movement. Again, at the time, I wouldn't have known that. This yes to be a missionary with this nameless location in central Ohio that ran a summer camp called Catholic Youth Summer Camp. And I really did go to prayer, though, and the Lord was just ever so slightly touching this desire that I had to be in control of my yeses. That even though I thought I had given this unreserved yes to the Lord, the Lord was showing me the areas where it's like, Brad, you do give wholehearted yeses, but you give wholehearted yeses where you understand. Have you thought about giving a yes to this thing you don't understand? And as he and I walked through it, to make a long story short, I really felt the Lord highlighting this blank slate. I had no idea what we were building. All I knew is that we were going to run a summer camp. It's funny, the second phone call that Dan and I had, he's like, we can't promise you a job past Christmas. We, have, we, we don't really know what we're going to do outside of summer camp. But we think the Lord's going to do something here. And, you know, looking back, like that's like saying the sun's going to rise tomorrow. The Lord's always going to do something. <laughs> but, um, but it spoke to my heart. And... It's funny because now I look back and that was the story of my life. When I was a little kid and I was hiking with my dad, like I never wanted to take the paths that were already set. I was always the one that would run in between paths and try to create a connection between where we were now and where we wanted to go that wasn't already trod. And the Lord writes things in us young, you know? And so the yes that I gave to Damascus was as whole as I could make it at the time. I remember I gave Dan a call and I was like, Dan, I don't know why this makes sense. I've been serving St. Paul's Outreach for two years at Ohio State. The Lord's done amazing things, but I feel so called to middle school, high school, college students. I feel called to that entire generation and I, I need to be somewhere where I can minister to that whole generation. And I think that this is the only opportunity to do that. And so with that, I say yes to whatever this is, you know, and had a couple weeks to support raise a salary and that's what we did. That's great. Yeah. What did that feel like? Um, I think it probably, there's probably two sides of the coin. It, it felt in a, in an odd way freeing because it's actually beautiful when we give a yes to something we, we don't understand. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's something amazing about surprise there, there's something amazing about surprise. Like, like when, when Jesus came to the earth, it was a surprise to everyone that he would come the way he did. Like we were made to be amazed. 
Like, I think that's one of the, the big things about our generation, which I know we're going to talk about a little bit today, but like, when was the last time you were amazed? Well, if you're always in control, you can never be amazed. And I showed up and then I started seeing God moving in ways I had never seen him move before. I started seeing him do something in me I had never seen him do before. And I was amazed. And, and there was such a, a, a freeing feeling, but there was also the, the feeling of, um, I don't know if fear is the right word for it, but equal to the freedom that I was experiencing was this other part of me that was like, is this the most mature decision? Right? Oh, yeah. Is this the best move? Is this going to set you up best for the rest of your life? And it's like, so there was these competing um, feelings, but th- that would be what I would say. And that, yeah. that was that first summer, um, which was 2016. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there was this uh, dual-sided coin mm-hmm. that I, I would feel on any given day, both, right? Like, right. well, this is the most freeing, exhilarating thing I've ever done. Also, where am I going? What am I doing with my life? Mm-hmm. And the Lord was working both of those things out. I feel like something that obviously that I respect within you that I respect within Brad is, um, this pioneer spirit. And I feel like we, we, we had our Mediterranean food today (laughs) (laughs) and we're like, okay, let's go into this and talk about the generation at hand Mm -hmm. more specifically, um, young adults, right? The, mm-hmm. the 20 somethings, yeah. 30 somethings. I don't think man. anyone knows within ministry. Just world. call it 18 to 40, man. <laughs> just the people that need a way, you know, <laughs> what I've been saying to people is like young adult ministry yeah. is like post. Mm-hmm. Gosh, can you even say, cause there's this growing movement of people that don't go to college and just go into like a trade. So it's like sometimes post high school mm-hmm. until you enter into your vocation. But even yeah. then, like the young adult events and you've got like couples, like married couples yeah. showing up with their kids. So we just don't know. It's the most mm-hmm. amorphous, whatever. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it is. But um, as you were talking, I just really feel, I'm just trying to like yield to what God wants. I feel like um, I want to spend a little bit more time on just like pioneering. Yeah. Um, I feel like you add you can add so much. You can just share so much on that. I'm trying. You're way farther along in the pioneering Mm -hmm. than I'm in, uh, than I am right now. Mm -hmm. Um, well, what intrigues you about pioneering? What intrigues me about it? And you know, as, cause I was listening, but then I'm thinking in the back of my head, like, cause one of the things we were kind of throwing out before this podcast started was Mm -hmm. what does this generation need? Sure. And so as you're talking, I'm thinking to myself, like, Yes, you and I are convicted about like a lot of different things that we feel like the young, the, the Catholic young adult, Christian young adult, whatever, sure. need right now. But this kind of came out of left field, and I feel like it's the Lord. I feel like it's the Holy Spirit. And what I heard in my head was, right now we need the pioneers to pioneer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. But but the the thing is, I I think if if someone's listening, they can, they can listen to that and recognize that something about that's right. Like we need pioneers, mm-hmm. but I think sometimes we forget that the pioneers that are needed in the church are the ones that we look at in the mirror every morning. Like it, it's sometimes that we can be so convicted by a truth that we forget that the conviction's supposed to land into action in our lives. Mm-hmm. Like pioneering is, well, just think about what pioneering was before. It was it was settling new lands. Going it was where others doing new things, before. going where others haven't gone before. And there's a part of that that is both of the things I was talking about at the start of Damascus. Mm-hmm. It's exhilarating. Like you're going to see sites that haven't been seen before. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. Like I, I still to this day, even when I go to a new place that I've never seen before, other people mm-hmm. have seen it, it amazes me. Yeah. But you're going to go to a place that no one's seen before. Right. Like there's something mm-hmm. that calls to us. in that. Yeah. And where like where I feel like, yeah, no, I think you're right. I think that you can hear that. Right. And be like, oh, OK, this podcast is very niche mm-hmm. or like. Sure. Right. It's it's um, OK. So this podcast is for this specific episode is for people who have 
pioneer within their job title or yeah, like in right. their own, like it's, it's some kind of a position to be mm-hmm. held mm-hmm. Um, or it's like organizational, yeah. which is like true, but like it's about going somewhere that you've not gone before or that others have not gone before mm-hmm. and doing what you have not done before or doing what others have not done before. That's right. Which I genuinely think is like a great place to start when we're talking about what our generation needs. Mm-hmm. Cause like the, I mean, you can talk about viruses, you can talk about lots of different things um, that one might consider contagious, right? That's sure. been the theme the last three years. But what I think is wildly contagious and very hindering within our generation is fear of mm-hmm. the unknown and fear of uncertainty. It's crippling us. It is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, there's some. There's something about... There's something about pioneering that we lose as we quote unquote mature. Yeah. And, um, it's funny. I, uh, I still speak to a lot of middle schoolers, which is awesome. And I know we're talking to young adults here, but (laughs) here's the thing. We're all middle schoolers might be listening. Well, I say this all the time. We're just complicated middle schoolers. I've been saying that too. We have to stop taking ourselves so seriously. Yes. We have to, because here's the thing. Like when I'm sitting in a, a room full of middle schoolers, I started this actually at Catholic Youth Summer Camp. We were running a, a middle school men's session, and the Lord prompted this organically. And now I use it, I mean, all of the time. And I'll look to the crowd, and I'll say, raise your hand if you want to do something great with your life. Right? And, you know, some of the middle schoolers are, like, half asleep. I'm like, raise it high so I can see it. <laughs> and universally, the entire crowd, right, has their hand raised because they want to do something great with their lives. Right. And then I have them keep their hand up, and I say, now keep your hand raised if you think you can do something great with your life by doing what everybody else is doing. Yeah. And in unison, they all bring their hands down. And my question is then, well, why are we doing what everybody else is doing? Because there's, because it's clear that that's not the path to what you actually desire. You want to do something great with your life. You want your life to matter. Like the stories of the saints are stories of men and women who decided I'm going to do something great with my life. And I'm going to do that by giving an, an, an individual and unique yielded yes to God. Right. Because here's the thing, like it, it, there's a, a letter that a world war II uh, bomber pilot wrote to his mother and it was before his last mission. And he went out and was shot down. Long story short, the letter, he was never able to finish it. So no one knows who actually wrote this letter. It's just called a letter from a world war II airman to his mother. And in the letter, he says something amazing. He says the, in talking to his mother, he says, I, I've come to realize that the universe is so vast and so ageless Hmm. that the measure of a man can only be determined by that of his sacrifice. Because here's the thing, you and I, we could come up with the cure to cancer, a cure to a once thought incurable disease has been come up with before you and I, we could come up with some breathtakingly new theological revelation, breathtakingly new theological revelations have happened over time. You know, what's never happened before Christopher Fenneman totally yielded unto the Lord. It's never happened before. It'll never have the opportunity of happening again. Same thing with me. That's what we were made for. And that is way better than control. It's way better than control. Because the more we control, the less we're going to reach the greatness that we desire so deeply. Mm -hmm. And it's not because we're incompetent and it's not because we're ignorant and it's not because we're weak and frail. Like we can have identity statements against all those things, but it still holds that I'm not the end I was made for. Right. And he's less of the Lord. The more that you're in control, the less that he is. Correct. And and by by definition, greatness won't be achieved. So the reason that we have young adults that are so confused and misguided and depressed and anxious and lonely is, be- and lonely is because we're living the antithesis of what we would need to live to achieve what we actually want. Like when you look at the average young adult today, they're trying to control their life. They're trying to control their life by putting the perfect thing out on Instagram, putting the perfect thing on their LinkedIn page, creating the perfect resume, having the perfect internship. They're trying to do all of these things so they can stay in control of where their life is going. 
that will never achieve the end that you desire. Let's, let's just presume you do a phenomenal job in that. Let, let's presume that you become the CEO of a major Fortune 500 company. Let's presume that everything goes great, that you stay married amidst that because most CEOs of Fortune 500 companies don't stay married through that. Let's just presume that everything goes exactly as you plan. At the end of your life, when you look back, are you satisfied? You're satisfied with the fact that you took the bull by the horns and you rode it around the track a couple times. Of course not. It was all predictable. Even if you achieve the nth degree of what you were setting out to achieve, which is a small percentage anyway, you still predicted every step. It lacked adventure. It lacked amazement. Mm -hmm. It's that type of life where you look at a sunset and it's just another sunset. Right. Instead of being amazed that we're a part of something so much bigger, that only happens in yieldedness. And yieldedness only happens with an unreserved yes to the Lord. There can be no holds barred. And I don't know, I, I, I don't, I don't attribute like, it's funny because a lot of times people will be like, well, what has made Damascus successful? I just say that people stayed. Yeah. That, that like, that, that like the yes was hard at first. Of course right. it was. Yeah. Like every yes that you give at first is going to be challenging. This is so funny. I run into young adults that are like, well, when I get married, it's like, yeah, because everything's going to be great immediately. <laughs> is that, is that, and my wife Nina is amazing. But if you think, if you think everything's going to be, you're taking two personalities, right. two different families of origin, right. and you are integrating them and your, your presumptions that that's all of a sudden going to solve things. Well, of course it's not because what needs to be solved isn't some external puzzle that needs the right pieces to fit. It's an internal puzzle mm-hmm. that'll only be solved through yieldedness because God's the only one that can solve it. You can't, no matter how hard you try, mm-hmm. you'll never find that final piece or the corner piece or whatever piece. When you're talking about control and you're talking about what, what, yeah, when you're talking about control and earlier you were saying, um, we take ourselves too seriously, right? We're just a bunch of overgrown middle schoolers. Yeah, that's right. Um, it makes me think this has been coming up a lot in my conversations because as someone who's stepping out of the boat and trying to start a new ministry and all these things like that, like I'm having conversations with young adults with 20 somethings all the time you know, um, that reach out like, Oh my gosh, this is so cool. Like, Mm -hmm. I think I want to be part of this, all these things like that. And the scripture that we keep coming back to, because the common theme that I find, Mm -hmm. just like you were saying is like this crippling fear of like, am I going to make the wrong decision? Like, is it going to affect my whole life? Like all these things, just this unnecessary weight. And I bring those conversations to the book of revelation. And this is something that Hmm. across the board, people in the body of Christ point to this verse and we love it and we champion it and we throw it everywhere that we can. Mm -hmm. But it's weird because we only take half of the sentence and it bothers me to the nth degree, right? They overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. There's not a period there. It says there's a comma Mm -hmm. for they did not love their lives so much not to lay them down. Right. You can love your life too much. You can take, you can over, you can add too much weight mm-hmm. to your life. It's sure. not in contention, right? Because people want to like come against that with like, yeah, I hear what you're what saying. What are you talking about? Like human dignity and like your life. And it's yeah, like, yes, yeah. I'm not coming against that. What mm. I'm saying is, just like the, <laughs> I love the really dark, bleak stuff that David says in the Psalms, right? Yeah. Like one of them, I forget which one it is, right? But mm-hmm. it's like, the best I've got is like 75 years and then I'm gone forever. Like, yeah. really, truly, you have X number of decades. Yeah to give a yes and to lay your life mm-hmm. down for the Lord and then you are gone. Yeah. That does not diminish your vocation, your marriage, whatever yeah. you're going to be called to do in this life mm-hmm. and it's going to be great. But like, you're a tiny piece. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jesus adds uh, another commandment just by the way he lives and it's thou shall not covet your life. Wow. Yeah, I can't covet. I can't covet this life. Because I'm not the owner of it, and I'm not the Lord of it. And and, and here, it, it was interesting when you were starting to speak about some of the hesitancies that you see in young adults and how they can find it difficult, you know, to, I don't know, find um, a yes that they're satisfied with because they want certainty. Yeah. I was thinking about John 6 and the Bread of Life discourse. Wow. And I was thinking about how Jesus is calling the crowd 
and it's funny because in it you can almost feel like the crowd's like, we want to follow you, but we are uncertain about this teaching. And they all leave. But Jesus doesn't make the teaching more certain to them. He leaves the call as it is. And then he looks to Peter, you know, one of his best friends, and he says, are you too going to leave? And that's when Peter says those amazing words. To whom else shall we go? That question is not rhetorical. The answer to that question is no one. Right. But sometimes when we ask that question, to whom else shall we go? It's my own better inclinations. I'm going to go to me Mm -hmm. because I trust me with my life more than the Lord. I'm going to go to the wisdom of man, Mm -hmm. you know, and God bless our parents for being amazing. Right. And they love us so much and they have such good wisdom to pass on. And it's the only commandment that comes with a promise. Right. right, that if we honor our father and mother, we'll live a long life. Right, all those things should be done. But I can never yield to the wisdom of man, even if it's my mother and father, more than I yield to the call of the Lord. And so I think that you know, right in there is is the example that Jesus gives us that Jesus isn't calling us to a life that we're going to fully understand or fully be certain about. He's calling us to a life of great adventure that's going to have things that are uncomprehendable, incomprehensible, whatever the word is. <laughs> but that's what makes life worth living. That's what gets us out of these depression cycles and this despair and anxiety that we see crippling our generation. It's let's go have fun. Right. Let's go have fun. And it's not going to be fun if you plan it all out. Right. I'm thinking like, because I'm not speaking... Um, from a place of, oh, I've never experienced that. We all have. The, oh, like, 100%. The, like, um, maybe if I pray another novena, then I'll have, like, clarity as to what I'm supposed to do. Sure. Maybe if I get another prophetic word, mm-hmm. I'll know which direction to go. Yep. Maybe X, Y, Z, whatever it is, mm-hmm. whatever you're, like, hoping is, like, the hinge point, right? That's right. Because I've experienced, I've lived in that. Yeah, I've me lived too. in that. <laughs> me too. Before. Um, but I'm thinking as you're talking, like, if we break it down, like, where does where does that find its origin? Mm-hmm. Because if if a call, right? We don't even need to put the word capital V vocation yeah, there right. yet. It whether it's for a season or longer or your whole life, whatever mm-hmm. it is, if the Lord is calling you to it, you should do it. That's right, right. But you said something. This is this is what I want to say. You, a few years ago, you said something, and it it. Mm-hmm just impacted me so much and I've carried it with me ever since then. And it was the moment that discernment becomes miserable is the moment that discernment just became about you. That's right. And I just, I'm holding that in contention, in contention, intention with this really, really common experience, regardless of what camp you find yourself within Catholicism, whatever, whatever spirituality, it's this like, I'm terrified to make the wrong decision. I'm terrified to choose the wrong direction, right. to go the wrong like You see it everywhere. So when yeah. you're when you're in that mindset though, are you actually thinking how can I give myself away? Right. Well, I I don't know. I don't think you are. Well, because you can't be because it that response to discernment, that anxious response to discernment falls short of knowing who the father really is. Right. So here's here's the analogy I always use. The father has not written a book on Christopher's life and hidden it in a library. And Chris has to frantically find it before he ages past his call or before he dies. If the father would have done that, it would be anxiety ridden. I need to check every shelf. Dewey Decimal System is just not doing it for me. I got to go through every single shelf and I have to find it. Where's my book? Where's my book? Where's my book? Where's it at? Where's that? Where'd he put the book for Christopher? Where'd he put the book for Brad? Is it here? Oh, that's not the right one. But could I just live someone else's? Well, maybe I'll just read their book because maybe I could just do what they do and then then that'll be suffice. But I can't find it. So I'm anxious. And am I even doing the right thing? Where is it at? 
the father didn't write a book about your life and hide it in a library for you to find the, the father is sitting next to you authoring that book as you live it. And so sometimes when you flip a few pages ahead and you see that it's a blank page and you get frustrated, it's just because you haven't lived it yet. The father's turning the page with you. And every single time you turn away from him, he's like, Oh wait, how wait to see how I bring this back. Mm-hmm. Discernment presupposes that the father's idea is in the future, not in the present moment. I just don't think that's the right way of looking at it. Real discernment is a yieldedness to the Lord where I see what he's doing now and how that might play into my next step. Mm -hmm. Think about if you went out into the woods and it was dark at night and you had a flashlight. If you shine the flashlight as far ahead of you as you can see, everything's vague and you can't see the next step. It's only when you take the flashlight and you shine it down right in front of you and you see the next step that you take it. Mm-hmm. That simply rids us of an anxiety that is feeling around in the dark. Right. And I think that we really have to go to to the heart of that, though, the, the recognition that the Father loves us so much that he wants to author it next to us. I mean, like, it, it, fundamentally, the reason that we struggle with discernment is because we struggle with trusting God. Yeah. It's the same thing as the fall from Eden. It's the exact same thing as we see in Genesis. When the father speaks to Adam that he should not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And then all of a sudden Eden, Eve comes into Eden and Eve was never told by God not to eat of the tree. But when the serpent tempts Eve, Eve says, no, we can't eat of that tree nor even touch it lest we die. God never said anything about touching it to Adam. So either Adam distrusted Eve to where he exaggerated and told her, we can't eat of that tree and you shouldn't even touch it. Or Adam told Eve exactly what God had told him, which is simply not to eat of the tree. And Eve didn't trust herself that if she would touch it, she could keep from eating it. And she exaggerates. Regardless, there's a trust breakdown. Yeah. And in this, in the serpent, the evil one senses that trust breakdown and attacks it with anxiety, provocation, false promises, distraction, distraction, all the things that he does to us now. Right. It's a trust breakdown. Mm-hmm. So what we have to do, if, if we're a young adult and we're in a place where we think discernment is exactly what you said, the moment that it's becoming miserable, it's become about me. And what do I mean about that? It, it's it's become me focused, not him focused. Right. And when it's him focused, trust is natural. Right? Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know why um, that message isn't shared. I don't know why we presuppose. I mean, yeah, I, I think it's I, I, I think it's the human condition. We have to get back to trusting him. Yeah more than we trust ourselves. When I think about, because it's not just important to highlight what it, and you touch on this, but I want to circle back just for a second before we maybe mm-hmm. move on to something else. Sure. I, It's not enough to simply be like, okay, this is what discernment looks like. Maybe when it's not gone about properly with the right disposition of heart. Mm-hmm. Yes, anxiety, you know, distraction, nervousness, all these, all these things. But what I keep thinking about is, okay, what does it look like? And when I when I think about it, like mm-hmm. just kind of like what you were saying, we were called to live this great adventure of a life. Yeah. Our John ten ten abundant life mm-hmm. that he paid for, right? Mm-hmm. And to give ourselves away as gift. That's right. In 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 the moment, in vocation, in a in a seasonal call, as a missionary, in the workplace, whatever it is. Yeah. That should be and, and if you're trying to discover which direction or what vocation or what mm-hmm. way it is, there should be so much joy that you can yeah. give yourself away. Mm-hmm. It, it should it should be accompanied by a joy and an eagerness to yeah. give yourself away. Mm-hmm. That seems like Christ. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I this is what every single guy that I walk with, they'll 
be able to attest to this. So if you're listening, you can throw a comment and let Chris know that I'm being honest here. <laughs> every, every guy that I walk with that's discerning stepping into a relationship, the first thing I ask them is if they've fallen in love with all the vocations. Hmm. Because here's the thing. If you're, uh, I'll speak to the men just for a minute, right? It, it would, it would be able to cross over to our sisters as well. But if you're, if you're a man, a young adult man, and you're wanting to give your life to the Lord, do you love the idea of priesthood? Do you love the idea of religious life? Do you love the idea of married life? Before you step into any of them, I would suggest that you should have an affinity for all of them. Because here's what happens. At the moment I'm called to make a full commitment to one, I'm not just giving up two disposable things. I'm giving up two goods for another good, which in fact makes the good I'm choosing great. Discernment always has to be between multiple goods. If it's between good and bad, it's just a choice. Right. Discernment elevates high the possibilities God has for my life. In the big V vocational sense, I want to fall in love with all of those. Mm-hmm. Like, Lord, we need more full-time intercessors for the church. Raise up religious brothers that love you, that pray for the church incessantly, that bring such joy, that are literally a witness of heaven in the world, that when we see those religious brothers that have given up everything, we see a foretaste of heaven where we give up everything in total worship of you. Lord, celebrating the sacraments for the salvation of souls. If we don't have the sacraments, we don't have guaranteed grace. The church is such a mercy. Thank you for the guaranteed grace that's brought through the hands of your priests that are acting in your person, Jesus. What a gift. That's an amazing call. And thank you, Lord, for propagating the earth with saints. You know, it was funny in my own discernment of of vocation, like, well, it's a whole additional piece whenever you know you have a vocational call to mission and you're bringing in the the big V vocational call to to ministry and mission. It's like it's a, it it's a uh, it's just an additive to it, right. you know. And I remember when Nina and I stepped out of dating the first time because I just I remember speaking this directly to her. I, I let her know that I, I didn't have certainty as to where God was calling me. Mm-hmm. And one thing I was certain of is that she deserved certainty that she deserved the man who would eventually ask her to be his wife to be across from her certain that this is the next step that God was inviting him to take. And so when we stepped out, I remember I I went to the seminary for a little while, was trying to figure out if that was for me, not in like a formal way, but stayed there for over a week and just sought spiritual direction was really trying to see if the priesthood was drawing me and I was falling in love with it. Mm -hmm. I went to a couple, um, religious brothers that I knew and was really taking on their way of life and trying to implement things into my life and, and began falling in love with that too. And it was actually funny because the the last thing I had was, was married life. And because I had so often seen it be an idol, I wasn't even able to love it the way I wanted to. And I had to take that to the Lord and say, Lord, I've so often seen people make their lives about marriage and not about you that I don't know if I see the goodness in it anymore. Right. And I remember I was I was sitting with the Lord in a chapel at the Josephina, which is the seminary in Columbus, and it was late at night. And I, I said, Lord, okay, the married life is clearly a beautiful path towards holiness, Lord. But like, why would I marry one woman and have two to twelve kids? And focus on getting them to heaven with all of my life when there's millions of people in the world already who aren't going to heaven. Like, why would I just bring more people into the world just to have them saved if if there's millions who aren't? And it was so funny because the Lord, as gently and kindly as he could to (laughs) a little rambunctious um, 20-something-year-old who thought he knew more than he did, the father just broke through and he's like, well, Brad, I know that that might've been the way that you've been presented marriage in your life. But what if my plan for marriage was something different? And I remember just sitting to listen and he said, what if, what if my plan for marriage wasn't that you would have those kids and that wife just to get them to heaven, but rather what if it was to have those kids and that wife to get heaven into them so they can reach the millions you were never able to. I said, then I'm in. 
And it was so funny because from that moment forward, the beauty of all three shined forth and I, I knew the one I wanted to choose. Wow. And I knew the one that the Lord was allowing me the grace to desire to choose. But it was hard because I was like, we need amazing priests. We need amazing religious brothers. Like, like it was, it was actually a sacrifice. But that, that's, that's the part of discernment that I'm bringing this back to is that whenever we don't trust, we don't sacrifice. Right. But when we're willing to sacrifice, we'll find that we were willing to trust. And so you're going to have to sacrifice your control if you're going to pioneer. Yep. You're going to have to sacrifice your <laughs> own way of doing things. Oh, yeah. And I think that we have to build back into this generation a, a trust in the Lord, a recognition of his goodness, a recognition that the Father is so in love with you that he couldn't love you more than he does right now, but he loves you way too much to keep you that way. And that he's wanting to author everything alongside you. If we can come back to knowing who the Father is, we'll begin recognizing again who we are. And as sons and daughters, we won't be orphans who have to make our own way, yep. but instead we'll pioneer alongside a father who won't lead us astray. I don't really know where to go from here. <laughs> <laughs> On what time are we at? Uh, it's probably about maybe almost 40, not quite yet. Okay, sweet. Great. Um, it's just I find it kind of like ironic we're talking like, okay, let's, let's have a discussion on what this generation needs. And it was like, okay, like pioneering. Okay, sweet. Discernment. I think it's just crazy. I think for myself, I can speak for myself and I'm maybe, uh, if you're listening, you're kind of like overhearing content regarding discernment. I think that we've boistered up so much content regarding discernment in the mm. church sometimes mm. because we're obsessed with it. I think a lot of people are obsessed with mm. it. I think it's like, it's, it's the, it feels like there's this weird tension where like there's a hyper focus on it and sometimes there's a lot of content, but it seems like there's not enough. Hmm. And I'm thinking to myself as you're talking and as this conversation is unfolding, I'm like, it's kind of annoying. Mm -hmm. But I think it's so important. It's not about having a liking or a distaste towards a word, right? The word discernment. But it's what it is. And mm -hmm. I think that just within the context of this conversation, like, I feel like I am just getting that healed a little bit because I'm looking back to the very beginning, just like you did. You brought us back to the beginning yeah. in the garden with Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm the first gift that he gave us. And this is something that, you know, maybe I, I would have loved to bring up during the, the episode regarding the Holy spirit, because a lot of times we focus on so many of the other gifts we focus on. Yeah. The gifts of the Holy spirit and, you know, mm -hmm. tangible gifts, you know, like, thank you God for my house and my car and my family. Yeah. The very first gift that he gave to us as his creation, as his children was free will. Right. That's the very first gift, mm -hmm. and he reveres it so. He holds it with such a weight. He loves it so much. Would yeah. never do anything to contradict it. Mm -hmm. And he's the only one that can. Yeah. He's the only one that can, <laughs> who would have the ability, right? That's right. Um, and so I just think, you know, as I'm thinking about, okay, what does our generation need? I feel like, you know, I don't know how much t more time we'll take, but... Um, sure. I really want our generation to learn to trust that gift. Yeah. That gift of free will. I think so too. And I, I don't know why I keep coming back to it, but to have fun with it. Like, it's funny that you say that because that is the first gift that the Lord gives us is free will. Besides life, right? He breathes life. Well, that's what I was just about to say. The, the, the first thing that he shares with us is life. Right. Breath. Right. And even think about breath though, like, like breath, you hold on too loosely. Mm -hmm. You have to bring it in, but you also have to let it go. Mm -hmm. Free will is that exact same thing is I have to bring it in and take responsibility for things God's calling me to, but I also have to give things up. 
right? It's this in and out reality that we just always live in. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, yeah, I, I, what, what is it about? Like, I'm trying to think of like the two. So like, yeah, there's, there's the, I think with free will, there's sometimes the fear that because I have concupiscence and because I'm fallen, I can't trust my own free will. And that leaves me in this like analysis paralysis game, right? Where I, I don't know what choice to make. I'm probably going to make the wrong one. So I might as well not make one. Right. Right. Or choose the path of least resistance. Right. Right. Choose the easiest. Yes. And then, and then on the other side, I think sometimes we can get to this place where it's like, well, Jesus loves me regardless and I have free will. So I'll just do whatever I think I should do. And then he'll show up and kind of guide the way. It's not that either of those, um, are completely wrong, right? Like, like a healthy check of myself, a healthy check of my passions, a healthy check of my desires on this side is really good. And on this side, a healthy freedom to make choices without being a perfectionist and without, um, recognizing that equal to God's justice is his mercy. Like both of those, both of those have elements of goodness in it. But this is the same thing I would say about the encampments we find in the church today, right? On the like, um, side of like a radical traditionalism and on the side of like, let's say radical openness to the charisms of the Holy spirit. Right. Both of those are speaking aspects of what we need. Exactly. Like discernment is this, is this lived experience, this lived relationship with God where I have a healthy recognition that there are inclinations in me that are not towards God and a healthy inclination that there are, a healthy recognition that there are inclinations in me that are oriented towards God. And it's this recognition that it's only in giving it to him that I actually see which inclinations, which, and it's recognizing his mercy in saying, okay, Lord, to the best of my ability to discern, this is the next step. And then giving that to him and letting him correct it. If you take the wrong step, like part of me, I like, I like going to the extreme, right? So like, if, if you're listening to the podcast today or if you're Christopher or I and you're yeah. discerning something in your life <laughs> and like, let's presume you choose the wrong thing. Let's, let's say that a guy that I'm walking with and having coffee with, let, let's say that he was supposed to be a priest and he chooses to be married. Is the father done with him? Is it just all over? Just sorry, you made the wrong choice. I gave you free will and you made the wrong choice. Sorry, that. No, because God always works his plan B out to be even better than the plan A. Oh, happy fault. That's the entire... That's the entire... It, it is salvation history. That's what salvation history is. And so like... And that's even presuming the worst. That's presuming that... Let's say that the Lord really wanted you to be a married person and you became a priest. Do you think he's not going to use your yes? Like, who do we think he is? Do we think he's playing by our rules? God's not contingent on us making the right choice. Like he can, he can work through anything. And so I can let go of that pressure. And that's when it's, and this is what you're great at, Chris, is like, that's where we just have to encourage radical love of Jesus. Hmm. It's like, make the choice that you feel like the father's blessing and love Jesus. Love him. Because if you bring in like a heart that loves him into your choice, he'll be there. And I, I, I don't know. I think sometimes in the name of making sure people discern their vocation, we often tell people like God had a vocation for you when he knit you together in your mother's womb. But sometimes that can come with such great pressure of like, well, then I might choose wrong. Right. I'm not disagreeing with that assessment. All I'm saying is I, I think it, it's better for us to, to live in a way that loves Jesus and does the best we can and leaves the rest up to God. And, um, yeah, I think that if we can do that, our, our generation will be released to be more, let's say bold and more willing to step out of the boat. Yeah. If we can recognize that like God loves me, I can trust him when I trust him, things work out better than when I trust myself. Yeah. Lord, I give you all of my life for the rest of my life. Guide my next step. And in guiding that next step, if I misalign with your guidance, help bring my next step back onto the path you had for me.
And let's walk that out every day. And if you walk that out every day, you'll be by definition pioneering. Do you want to come back on the podcast sometime? I'd love to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we're just, we're just, um, grazing the surface. Oh, right? for sure. Um, just to wrap up here, the name of the show is locusts and honey. Yeah. Just like small, like fortune cookie sized one locust and one honey locust, something hard to receive, something that doesn't taste good immediately. Right. Hmm. And then something that is just as true but it's easier to receive the honey, right? Yeah. Specifically about maybe what, what yeah, what we talked about mm-hmm. tonight. Yeah. Um, a locust. When you give your life to the Lord, you're going to be led places you don't want to go. But it's not the place that's of principal priority. It's the person. And when you give your life to Jesus, even when you're led to places you don't want to go, if he's there, it's the right place to be. The honey is that when you fall to the ground and die, when you commit to something and you go all in, harvest is produced and in my life there's been nothing even close to as amazing as when I look at the missionary body that the Lord's raised up at Damascus and just how sweet it is to recognize that it was all him and he gave me the opportunity to say yes and in forming that path, he's brought so many others into that. There's just no greater thing. And it's only when we die that we can see that harvest. It's only when that seed falls to the ground and spreads itself that you get to see that, you know? And uh, it's funny. I, uh, I guess my last thought, um, in our office, we, we just kind of finished pictures of like every year of the missionary program i saw that and um i've been caught by by our office manager loren who's just amazing she loves the lord she'll just catch me every day when i leave i just stop and i i go picture by picture every day and um and i'm amazed made to be amazed and uh, and that's my desire for our generation is that they'd be amazed you know <laughs> thank you for tuning in to this episode of Locust and Honey um, we're going to have Brad back I think I'm going to have as many times as you'd like <laughs> thanks brother mm-hmm. um, yeah I hope this conversation blessed you um, take it to prayer Take the locusts to prayer. Take the honey to prayer and talk about it with the Lord. Make the decisions that you need to make mm-hmm. with the Lord. Get out of the boat. Yeah. Do something crazy. Love the adventure. Thanks so much for coming on, Brad. Yeah. Thanks for having me.